Hello, one and all, and welcome to the podcast we call The Fantastical with myself, Steve Nussbaum. In the podcast, where I invite my guests to come on and talk to me all about their musical taste, their memories, their experiences, and they get to collect their fancy festivals, which I have christened Fantastivals. I hope everyone is well as we approach the 123rd episode of the podcast. And before we do, just want to say a massive thank you to Gary Davis and the boys from the Superb Maze who were my guests on the last podcast. They've driven the podcast. This episode went far and wide. So massive thank you to Gary for all his support and make sure you keep an eye out on all future developments for Maze. They are going to go far and it was great to get to speak to their front man, Gary. So if you've not listened to that one, please go back into our vaults and make sure you have a listen. So that was 122. It's time for 123. And this week I'm delighted to introduce the man behind my biggest musical find of 2023 today. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the one and only Matthew Hickman of Brown Bear. Yes, this is such an incredible introduction and I'm here for it. <laughs> like that's, that's proper hype. Mate, it's all about the hype. Like I said, I've if Spotify Wrapped came out today based on 2023, Brown Bear would be leading the way. So I'm so chuffed to have you on the podcast of the eve of what is a special uh, very time for you that we'll get to talk all about. But before we do, Matt, I always like to check in with my guests, make sure they're good from a mental health perspective. It's very important that we talk about that almost three years now since COVID happened. So Matt, how are you, mate? I'm good, yeah. I, I, do you know what, funny you say that, I've been doing a lot of work this year to... Make sure I keep good mental health because I knew it was going to be a busy year. And um, previously in life, I've let that overwhelm me and let anxiety get the better of me. And uh, I've, this year, I've, no, I've called the year of boundaries, and I'm trying to really practice it and have like just say no a bit more. The power of saying no sometimes and being a bit more selective about what I do, just just so that I'm not only like protecting my own time, but I'm giving the best to the people that I'm, I'm giving my time. So yeah, I'm feeling good for it. I had my first PT session today. Um, which was rough, but again, like <laughs> I, I, I was needed. <laughs> <laughs> I went out for my first run in ten months on Sunday. Felt amazing after oh. it, and I was like, "Why don't I go out and run more?" And then woke up on Monday morning. I felt terrible. <laughs> yeah, you had the answer. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I hope the PC carries on. It sounds like it. it's been a good start. Anyway, so Matt, obviously you're here to talk all about Brown Bear and music. So, how did you first get into music? Yeah, I think I think I, I really got into music because of my parents. They were just huge music fans, and we came from a household that was like CDs and vinyls everywhere. And, it, and like my, my dad was like really, really a huge music fan, and he would just play music all the time. So if he was off, like you know, we get to the weekend, and he would be off, and you'd be like ready for a lie in because you're young, and all you do is like blaring music, you know. But I, and I always remember about my dad's collection, like he had um, these CDs that were numbered from like one to like I can't remember what it was. But they were all blues stuff, so it was like like BB King or Muddy Waters or Sunhouse or Sister Rosetta Tharp. So it was like from a young age, I was just listening to everything. And, and like it's not like now where like you've got Spotify or all, all the ways we can see music. I guess my my knowledge of music was like I just assumed that everything that was in that collection everybody else knew. So I grew up with all these different acts, and I thought that's just what music was. I didn't think I never thought in genres or like thought in anything other than like hey, this is the music in the house, and there's loads of it, and I love it. And, and like anyone, I got, I got to a certain age where you, you want to rebel against your parents' taste. And my friends at school were listening to like Nirvana and all that. And I was like, and it just was like, wow, like sonically hit me. I was like, whoa, I love this. And, you know, I'd grown up listening to like blues and soul and like a real amazing education of music, you know. And then I, then I was like rebelling against it with like grunge and metal and that. I just went, but, but eventually I kind of found my way back around to realizing like these are all just songs and like riffs and hooks and 
But I, I think like the Nirvana thing, I always like come back to. I guess because they had such a thing of like just being straight to the point. Like like they didn't believe in guitar solos and all that shit. They were like, this is this is it, and and I love music that's kind of straight talking. So as I've got older, that's kind of transferred a bit back into hip hop because I feel like that's the art right now that's um, saying something. I think a lot of artists outside of hip hop aren't really saying something. And like and, and again, I thought it was a lot. It's like when I was young, like bands were political, even if it wasn't mm. in the song, they knew they had to do it in their video, and then. We've just gone through this period of bands being like totally apathetic, and I think hip hop hasn't been. I think that's maybe where I've drawn myself to, like, because I, I feel like music is um, a vehicle for change, and I feel like I've always used music to vibe what I'm going through, whatever, whether it's like political beliefs or like just personal things or relationships, whatever it is. I think it's always been a soundtrack to my life. So yeah, so from a young age, I was just like obsessed with music and records and how they were made and who was on them, and then I realised you could look inside and. I'm like, well, that person played guitar and that what? And I'd be like, you know, and I think knowing all those things stopped me getting a bit like, oh, I don't like that because it's kind of music. I just was always a bit fascinated by songs. And you've mentioned BB King and Muddy Waters and Nirvana, which is obviously guitar driven. It sounds like there might have been a guitar floating around in your house when you were growing up. Yeah. How you started that journey? Yeah, there was that. Do you know what's funny? There was actually piano lessons for me first they sent me to, and I just didn't like them. I was like, it was too technical, and I was Mm. like, and I thought I was winning a watch. I thought I was pure smart. I was like trying to talk to the teacher about anything I could. And now that I'm older, I realised that they thought, this is great, I'm getting to it good and for him to just flap his guns. <laughs> and I would just tell his parents that he's musically yeah. illiterate. It's not my fault he kind of play. <laughs> but yeah, my dad always had a guitar in the house. He wasn't the biggest guitarist, but he could play a bit. And um, I, I hated if I was just going to strum it. He was like, oh, be careful of it. And then it made it like like the forbidden fruit. And some, some one of my pals, my brothers, Neil, was like, oh, I'll just show you how to play it. And the first thing he taught me to play was Smells Like Teen Spirit. I guess it's that kind of riff yeah, at that time. Yeah. yeah, after that, I was just obsessed with playing guitar and I would spend hours and hours and hours playing. And I get that now, it's funny because people know me as a writer, they see me play different instruments. And sometimes, and I play an acoustic to front of the band. Um, sometimes I'll go into the studio and folk will go, oh, what will we do about guitar? We'll get someone in. And then I'll say, oh, I'll get my bass and I play. And they go, oh, shit, you're actually fucking really good. Like, <laughs> well, that, was my, that was my first instrument. I, I really did learn how to play it. Like, And I don't, I don't understand how this comes with music because I see it a lot. But, but then I guess sometimes I meet artists and I'll be talking to them about musical stuff and they're not actually that musical. It's like, or, or the other thing is I meet artists and they're not really into music. Like they say, I, I kind of almost instinctively, if I meet a songwriter, right, and they, or a musician, and they, I say, oh, what are you into? Like if somebody said to me, if I saw a band play, right, and somebody, I said, what are you into? And somebody said to me, like, the Spice Girls, I'd be like, wow, right, I need to know what's happening here. I feel like to have said that, you've really thought about that. But if someone says the Beatles, I just go walk away. So, oh, no, you've not mm-hmm. thought about that. You know what I mean? It's funny, like, when you meet some music people, they say, it's like they think you should say buzzwords, and it, all it says to me is, like, I don't listen to records. But if someone comes up to me and says something really specific, I go, all oh, right, wow, cool, let's talk about that, because I would love to know your musical journey here, because you clearly have thought about, you've thought more than what the perception of music is. You've just, you just, music's just a vibe to you, whatever, and you don't really care what that means, so. Yeah, I took, um, a few years ago, I took my wife to meet McBusted, which is a combination of McFly and Busted, yeah. and I know, <laughs> yeah. um, Danny, one of the front men from McFly, always talks about Springsteen and he plays the telly model that Bruce has. And so I said yeah. to say, I'm going to ask him what his favourite Bruce album was. So I said, oh, nice to meet you. He signed the album because my wife's a big fan. To be fair, I don't mind Busted. I'm not too hot on McFly, but Busted at the time were fine for what they were. And I said to him, oh, what's your favourite Springsteen album? And he, he gave it four and I thought, he's going to come out with an early album here and blow my mind. And he just went, oh, the greatest hits. And I was like, me. I was like, nah, nah, can't be. <laughs> Can't be. Yeah. So you started learning guitar. 
at what point did you start writing your own songs? Did it take a while for you to write your own songs or was it something that instinctively came to you and you've just developed that skill? Shit, man. Honestly, it was like... <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we wanted to be in a band in like, the beginning of high school or something like that. And I wanted to be the guitarist, but like, but just I, I was kind of lucky. I grew up around a lot of shit-hot guitarists. And so in a way, like this is fate, right? I couldn't play like they could play. I was like, well, I'll be the rhythm guitar. And then they were like, well, someone has to sing, someone has to write the songs. And I literally drew a short straw and had to sing. But then I was kind of like, here, I'm loving learning these lyrics and like, writing my own songs. And, and, and as well, I used to do like, I used to make up rhymes to make folk laugh. I was just always like, to, I was just about a clown, you know what I mean? And eventually I stopped like hiding behind the humour. This is the thing, like, this is the thing about songwriting as well. Like when you hide behind humour and obscurity, it's, it's, it's because you're scared to say what you feel. Mm. And when I was honest enough about like, doing that, like I started writing some nice things and I didn't, I never showed anyone I was, I, so, I, so it was weird that in tandem I was writing for a band and pretending it was grunge and doing all these kind of like nothing meaning and like chat a vibe like a Nirvana thing. But in the background I was playing an acoustic guitar and writing these kind of like lovely wee songs and never showed anyone. And one day I did and people were like, why are you not doing that? And I was like, I don't know, I just, because I'm rock, man, I'm rock and roll, that's why. Because, you know, you're young and you're cool. And, and someone said to me really early on as well, um, I was about 16, they were like, you're quite a feminine writer, you should write for a woman. And I was like, what? I was like, as a young boy, I was like, what does that even mean? But like now, I do a lot of co-writing and a lot of the artists I write for are, are women and it's, it's, it's a, a great role. But I, I think I love writing with, uh, I get the best out of writing sometimes with other artists who are women because they're not really as scared about their mm. emotions or even when I'm in, even though like male writers are still sharing that, like they're quite timid to share a real emotion. And it's like, what well, like the beauty of songs is that a raw emotion. That's how we connect with the people at home because they maybe can't articulate that emotion. Like our job is to articulate it for them. So yeah, that was that was the kind of journey. You know? I remember listening to Ryan Adams for like the first time, Heartbreaker, as like a twenty-one-year-old. And that was an album all around heartbreak, obviously, and breaking up with someone. And at the time, thinking, I've never heard anyone write like this with just an acoustic guitar. And that drew me into a massive background of other artists. So I completely get where you're coming from there. So from those songs then, Matt, is that how Brown Bear was born? Did you get to a point in, in that rock and roll band where you just thought, actually, I'm going to do this as Brown Bear and take it forward or did other developments? Yeah, I was, I was doing it myself under my own name. And then I had a couple of pals join in and we, we formed another band. And it was cool, it was like, it was what it was, and we were just like obsessed. We'd actually also played in another person's band, and we were like, we were really frustrated by how little they play, like, let's just go make our own thing. And we just were relentless with gigging and all that, but we didn't know what we were and what we were doing, and it kind of fell apart as it, it did, because during that period, like, management came on, and it, it became this real thing of like, well, Matt's, you know, there's always a business, right? So like to the management, they were like, well, Matt's who we manage because he's, got monetary value and they didn't value the band whereas like I only valued the band mm. and I was stuck between like trying to be in a band and trying to have like management which neither worked out and then out of that Brown Bear was born and I kind of yeah I just kind of like was all go from there like 2014 we did this first single Dead or Alive and because of the management we had like we you know this is again it's all down to fate and coincidence and it the Libertines reformed that year and our management managed them and they fought really hard for us to be on that comeback show so, so to have all that stuff happen around our first single and then it was all quite high profile and the, but then because no one really knew who we were it added this mystique of like well what are they about and we were loving this riff and they're with this band and it kind of sucked us into the indie world which was like for me quite strange because that wasn't my world and it wasn't ever my music and that's I would say that I would say that's quite a tough crowd like they're very like indie and Britpop fans know what they want to hear mm. so to try and sing some songs to them that are 
not in that genre or a bit more emotional than you're still like as a bit of trial by fire but but what i really realized is like it's not it's not really because songs are songs and people have emotions and like yeah so it was it was a real like journey of trying to find out who i was and then i got to brownberry and that's even from then it's been like well, almost 10 years of still finding out who i am as an artist and what that actually means you know so obviously dead or alive leads to a few more singles uh wondering eyes stop the world in covers which are all on the amazing what is home album which is a masterpiece in my eyes. We were talking about it before we started. I think it's an absolutely superb album. Was it just a case of writing and then you had these mixture of songs and you thought, yeah, it's t- it's time now to release this album? Yeah, it just felt like I had the songs and the, they were there or thereabouts. Um, Wonder Nice was actually the song that came last. We, we were actually like kind of on tour and joking about how we maybe aren't indie enough. And it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek indie riff. We were like, it's actually quite nice to play. <laughs> so I, yeah, that game was like... From an inadequacy feeling like we were on a tour where we didn't really fit in. Yeah, I think like, we had those songs and it felt like the right time. But I, I don't know, like, I'd never thought about when that album should or shouldn't come. Like, it was one of those things where we were starting to be a bit of a buzz band. And, and, the, and actually, back then, singles weren't the thing in terms of how now bands only release singles. Mm-hmm. It was like albums and then a couple of singles. But I was saying, maybe it should just all be singles. Maybe we should be doing it differently. And everyone's like, don't be stupid make a record you know some labels were saying make a record because we want to talk about saying we made a record and then they were kind of like oh you went and made that record and while you were away trying to fund that and make that record but you weren't a buzz band anymore so we don't want to hear it that you didn't even listen so we were left with a record but no no funding no avenue to put it out and i was like shit what do we do so that album that album sat for a bit before it even got released you know it was like a, a couple of years of like i don't know how to put this record out and tried all these things back and forth and was just always getting let down and I really didn't know what to do and, and I guess I, I with, with it I, I eventually like left all I didn't have I had you know I had management I had an agent I left all those things and I just said I'm going to put this out myself I'm just going to do it all myself now and at least what happens happens and um, it was really good it was like I mean it wasn't groundbreaking obviously it's 2023 before you heard it but like the album's still there and we're still reaching people and it's a long journey when you do it yourself it's not like being in a band that has a label and they've pumping marketing thing they pay for the record like if anything that happens for us we have to pay for that and that means working so I actually ended up <clears throat> I ended up working on tours in between and that was another thing that I think helped mould me to where I am as an artist because I was suddenly around all these productions and I was learning about how crowds work and how how you are in a venue and how, how you'd come in and load in and how to manage shows and I've taken all of that learning into how we manage the project now because I self like I manage Brown Bear as well I, I book the tour I put on the shows I book the tour I do I direct the videos like I do it all so it's a lot, but it's like all been a trial learning, and, and and now I'm at like another stage of my life where I'm like, okay, maybe now's the time. I've taken it as far as I can take it, and I need to look for something to take that over, and that's a journey in itself. But yeah, I think we've definitely been touring those songs for a while, for the first record, and it just felt like between that and the kind of oh, you need to have an album thing. It was just like, well, we better try and make this record happen. You know, that was a record made on pretty much no money, and so I'm really proud of that. Like we had no money to make that record, you know, and scrapped and saved to pay what we could to get it done and yeah i think given that there's no budget for that record i think it sounds great you know it is a great sounding record i can't recommend it highly enough obviously we'll push matt's music uh, and brown bear's music a bit later on but you can listen to that on all streaming and you mentioned the videos matt so i was pleasantly surprised there's quite a few music videos on youtube and you seem like quite yeah. a natural in front of the camera mate i must say yeah well uh, here's an interesting fact not everyone knows what i actually have like when I was young, I used to act like I went through like youth theatre, and I think it was a great thing for me because I was really not a confident person, and it gave me somewhere 
I, I, I wasn't. I maybe wouldn't tell people I did it, but like within the confines of those people that I did the youth theatre acting with, I felt like I could express myself, and I was starting to build confidence and figure out who I was as a kid. And I ended up doing it because I, I mean, I've got like you know, you get grades in guitars. I've got them in acting as well. <laughs> but I then I just never did it. I just I just didn't see myself in that. I never saw people like me in that field, and I left acting, especially in Scotland. You know, so. Kind of left it behind and a new music so I was doing sports as well. You know, you're, I think that's the thing about everyone. You're heading a teenager. You're you're trying everything. You're mm. like, what is my thing? But it was amazing to do videos and be able to bring that back in. And I'm forever grateful for the people who we work videos with. They kind of heard out my ideas and went, but you know what? These are kind of these are kind of crazy ideas. But let's try it out. And then the more and more I did it, the more I got involved in the video production. And then next thing I was right, really writing the videos and uh, producing them and then directing them and. And a, and a wild turn of events like that led me to being commissioned to make a short film just after lockdown and now I'm kind of dabbling a bit in natural film and directing so it's been really really lovely and like again I think I guess part of that comes from like having no budget and no label you, you know you're going like what can I make you meet people and you have a laugh when you have no money you, you know you can't go I have this crazy idea and let's do it it's like mm. okay that's great but we have 30 pounds to do this so what are we going to do you know two foot consequences is the video for that's in a, a lift the, the cost of that video was the 30 pound rental of that list so that's how little we had to make that video happen and, and credit to the people involved we did and uh, a lot of favors which is money you know like time and kind is, is money and then um, we've just continued to work on like micro budgets and make some really cool great stuff and i think it's because when you don't have money you're like well we have to have a really good idea here that's going to cut through and um I don't think you'd have the space to do that with a label. I think they'd be like, no, we're going to get in this director and, and they would have been telling you what to direct mm. and, but, and, and then you would never have had the chance to say, hey, could I give this a bash? And then create something really cool. So I, I think there's a real thing in like, I'm not saying everyone should be independent forever or whatever. It's up to people what they believe. But I think there's a thing in like, getting to a stage where you know exactly what you're doing with everything. So you go into, if you do go into a deal, you're going in and saying, nah, this is, that's not the right deal for me because it wouldn't let me operate the way I like and I want to work with people like this and this so that we create these things and have a bit more autonomy like back in the day I felt like artists were a lot more creative because they were given both the funding and the space to be creative and they were like even they were a lot more creative minds maybe working in the business and now it's become very formulaic and I guess they're just waiting for the next app that's going to help push music forward rather than making any strides in how we actually re-engage people with art and music yeah good point well made can I ask you about the puppet yeah, sure. I, was, I, was, I was wondering if he's in here. I think he's somewhere else, but yeah. Where did the idea from the puppet come from? Because when you first came on my radar, I just kept seeing you and the puppet as a starting point, and I was bit, it was a bit intriguing at points. So, where, yeah. I mean, how how did the puppet come around? Again, it was one of those things where I just pitched a video. I went, I had this idea. Do you know what it was actually first? I was like, originally, I was like, I think we should have a video. It was a bit more serious, and I was like, it'll be me. And then me with the face paint, and we'll try and have, because we're using this brown bear, blonde bear thing, like we'll maybe try and turn them into two characters and play on like the different parts of your personality. And because this is another thing for artists as well, for as much as I'm like, cut out the bullshit and give us music, like do create your own narrative. And if that, whatever that narrative is, like, I'm like, I think we could be really visual. And I was like, yeah, how are we going to do that? I'm going to have to have two parts that's going to be shitty, like cuts about, I don't know, I was thinking that and I was like, what if, it's, it's just somewhere, I was like, what if we had a puppet version of me? Then, then obviously that instantly becomes more humorous and I was like, he shows the dual side of my personality, he's like the negative and he's kind of fucking up my life and I was really dealing with this, I was really in a place where I'd lost my passion for music and I was dealing with this idea of like, you know, obviously I'd had a relationship in a summer vein but then with my relationship with music it was the same thing of like, I love it but I hate it and I don't know where I stand and I'm trying to figure out who I am and uh, 
had been really self-destructive for a time and yeah that idea came about and then we had them we had them made and it was just like oh shit this is awesome and it's became a bit more tongue-in-cheek and it was really nice because it happened the idea was about before lockdown but like obviously got put on hold and it meant that like we could readjust so like we were like well we can you know there was a lot of chat during the lockdown about like social justice and stuff and I'm really outspoken and I've been doing a lot of like advocacy and I'd actually kind of said like I'm not going to do much music while I'm doing that because I don't want it to be about I'm advocating so people hear my music I'm advocating because I believe in people's rights and I tend to like talk about it a bit less when I have music coming out just because I'm like this is about the music just now and I don't want to cross those two things because I'm not doing it for that I don't don't give a shit about uh, doing things to be popular I give a shit because it matters to me you know so I was like this is kind of cool because we can have a bit of commentary on it I've been talking really heavily about it, but let's have a bit of a funny commentary on it because a puppet can do something really rude and cheeky, and you mm. accept it because it's a puppet, right? So we we were talking about like, obviously that guy's wearing like a human life matter t-shirt, and he's essentially saying puppet life don't matter, and we had all that guy, and it was like a commentary on what was happening, but it was like hard enough that like maybe even people who were taking it too seriously could go, right, right okay, let me need to calm down, and um, and it's, it was it was amazing because the puppeteer Stacey Mitchell. It's now my partner we met through that shit and like she her she, so she spent all this time getting to know me and like knew all my mannerisms before I even really knew her and it was like weird and then yeah now like we, we live together uh, and the puppet's here somewhere in the house and it was just amazing like getting to to bond over that and like to, to you know we, we had this like real creative thing and I guess like she'd gotten to know me so well like she she really felt like she knew me like and I was like oh that's like you know that's cool and then. So that, that video's got like a lot of special things from me because of that, um, and uh, yeah, the, the plan was to do another puppet video, but the budgets, we don't have any budget, so we're kind of like, and we didn't have the right idea, that's our thing, like I think it, there has to be, for me, I just never just do something because I could do it, and like, when you see that happen again, it's because we've got the idea that's worth doing, and I'm a big believer in that, I just like to do things because it's like the best possible thing, I, I really don't like, I don't know, just doing stuff for the sake of it, it's not my personality, and it's... That's why my albums are always like pretty much ten tracks because it's like I, I want the people to hear the best parts and the and the fit each other and there are loads of other songs. There's loads of songs folk will probably never hear and someone asked me recently like who knows me and they know how many songs I've got and they, and they love some of them like will we ever hear them? I'm like probably not because they weren't intended for that. Like I'm I'm a purist. I've I've said that to yourself. Like <laughs> you're a purist. fair, Steve, and you're talking about records and like you're a purist, and I'm the same. Like I'm a, I'm a pure. As far as critical as I am about the business, I'm a student of the business. Like I'm, I'm a real lover of this industry, and and I believe in purity, and I just want people to hear the absolute best. And it same with shows. Like I, I'll probably do less because I want people to get the best show. And like that's I don't want to play. I was in, when I started out, I was in a situation where we're playing all the time, and I would turn up to shows, and I would just get through them. And like how's how's that what anyone wants? Who wants to pay like five, eight? 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 quid to see me get through through it. Like, I want to leave everything on that stage and know that I've given everyone, hopefully, every bit of worth that they've paid to see me, like, because that's hard-earned money for people, you know? Yeah, totally. So since lockdown, we've had Retro that came out. We've had One More Night, Close Call, the fantastic All I Want, which, fantastic song. And as we sit here recording this on a Thursday night, you've got an album about to drop in... Four and a half hours and counting yeah. <laughs> demons. So Matt, t- tell us about demons and the inspiration behind demons. Yeah, I think to, to be honest, I was really worried because it's that thing of like album two's the terrible album two in it, right? And hmm. I'd actually written another album, and then we started to 
demo it, we'd done the two singles, and I was like, these are quite different from what I'd written for the album. And then lockdown came, and I thought, maybe this is a sign, and I scrapped that album. I just spinned it and thought, I don't believe in it. And I started writing again from the starting point of like One More Night in Retro and that kind of thing in my head. Um, but kind of something that happened with, with that process was like for the first time in my life, and, and in years I'd been at home for more than like a month at a time, and I wasn't able to run away from my problems, and I was stuck, I was literally trapped in the house because that was what happened in lockdown. Uh, and I had to deal with a lot of stuff in my life that I hadn't dealt with. And for all the poppy nature of the way I write and the, the hooks, like there's like a deep sadness to some of those songs. Like it's kind of, I always say to people jokingly, like it's kind of like I've convinced, I've tricked people into bopping their way through my depression, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you, people are like singing these songs back to me, like it's with joy. And I'm like, wow, like that was like the worst ever in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, the, but with this record, I love it because. I suppose as you get older, you're you're a bit wiser musically. You're a bit of a better writer. You consider the recording process a little bit more, but still not like I still don't consider it too much because songs should be songs. But I understand the process that's going to come, and um, yeah, I was really exploring those themes about like like inner demons and like addictive tendencies and love and loss and all these things and grief. And I think through that I was like okay I think I, I think I've got the songs I think I've got the theme I had more songs I was saying that, that's the good thing about going in with a producer and all these other people is like they go now what about this song and then it reshapes that and even when we got to the end of the album there was actually originally 12 tracks and I was like nah something's not right and we dropped two and we got it back to 10 I was like this is the album um, and then when we started to get into the process of recording I was like this is really cool because and I don't want to give too much away but like it really shapes from like like I, so with the first record there was a lot of stuff I wanted to do and we didn't have the budget to do so this record, I was like, I really, we have a little bit of a budget this time because um, we were really lucky to get uh, funding from like Creative Scotland and the musicians. And it meant that we could consider what that meant. And I was like, you know, I really struggle with being called an indie band because I don't feel like I am, like I'm a songwriter. Like my influences all come from like soul and hip hop as much as they do rock. And, and uh, when I think of like high riffs, even when I was playing in the first record, I played some of the high riffs and uh, I telecast. I was thinking more of like, like West African music than I was indie, but in the context of rock, it can seem like an idea. From like, there's this thing with like songwriting and with like rock that like, despite its origins being in black music, it just gets totally not mentioned. So sometimes people come back to me and that as if like I'm not black enough to play it, like or like, well, I'm playing white a white genre. And I'm like, man, like how do you think this came about? So I was like, I really wanted to like go with this idea of it being indie soul. Like that's my thing, like indie soul. How how do I, how do I capture like both sides of like my personality and my heritage and and, and what I love and do something a bit different and then so that was when the arranging came in and it was really it was really fun but it was still like i was still like i can't just come in with this like mad sound retro was a bit of a departure but it was like really freeing to do that and i was like how do, how do we do that and so i went in and i was like i want this record to be like the miseducation of lauren hill is fighting with graceland by paul simon and it's everything about what i listened to and the producer was like yeah cool i'm into that i fucking made this playlist we got into it and you know the way that the way the album works in terms of like genre or feel is like it kind of starts very close to the first record and works its way over to where I think it's next or maybe it won't be like if I think about being a writer like maybe the next record will be like a rock record I don't know but um, it really explores those themes and then it explores that sound of like soul and Motown and Afrocentricness as well as that so like I, I guess this probably isn't like the, the, the indie soul blueprint but I hope in the context of my records maybe like this is a record people go, yeah, that was really bridging the gap. And it's so funny because I listen back to Retro and One More Right Now, and I go, God, that was me trying to figure out something in my head. Like, those songs to me are like figuring out songs. 
and then the new record I can go like I figured out what I was I was thinking then and this record I hope hits that home and um, and it, it, as with ever of me it's got like you know peaks and troughs and it's got ups and it's got the, the high energy it's got the risk but it has those pauses and those moments of reflection and sparseness and, and I would say this record has a tiny bit more of the vulnerability than the first in a way despite being kind of almost bigger and more commercial sounding that and it's been really lovely to play with that and it's been it's like and in, in, in the background it's helped us really with radio like that we've although we've kept our sound and we've stayed true to it it's been like received a bit better but we also recorded it very differently like the first record was very like as close to the old way of like tracking everything doing it like a band that we did a lot of the takes actually like me and the drums recorded at the same time and that gives it that feel of almost being like an eight track four track mm-hmm. like old school record because it's all about feel and this time I was like okay I've proven I can do that I want to see what I can do when we really sit and think and do takes and cut takes and there's even bits in the record that have like samples almost at the beginning but this actually samples of the recording that we did so we've like sampled ourselves. so I really explore the sound and I'm like I just wanted to do something I think if everything I do I want to do something different and I was like you know for people who love the first record that's there right and so I'm like, this is a new record and a new thing. And I think as a musician, I wanted, to, and as a writer, I wanted to push myself. And it's been so lovely. Like I worked with a producer called Buzzkiller, Ross Hamilton, and uh, we just had a blast. Like just making this amazing record, and like I'm, I'm super proud of it. And I feel like we've we've achieved something again. Like although we had a budget, like it was funny we had a, a budget, and uh, Creative Scotland have been really working hard to connect with artists. They they had this reputation of not being great at, at doing that. And, so they came in to hear the record during the process and they were like, we're obviously really delighted with how this sounds and this is before it's mixed. And they were like, uh, but we kind of actually have to question if things have been appropriately budgeted or if you're underpaying people because this sounds like a fifty to £100,000 record wow. that would be made on a major label. And we had a far, far, far <laughs> less than that, like but below the 15k, you know. Um, in fact, probably for, for the actual record side of it, below the 10k mark, which is a, 10k is a lot, but in the terms of a record, it really isn't because of musicians' fees and all these things. So they were like, wow, this sounds like a, a major label record and you've done that here. But I'm like, yeah, but the songs are there. And this is the thing I would say, like, a lot of people now write with production in mind or they write, produce and, and write at the same time. And songs kind of suck a bit because of it. Like, they, they aren't as good. Like, And it's okay to, some people get defensive about it, people have their opinions, but I think, like, if we're really, really honest about it, I think the standard of writing in the business has dropped quite drastically, and especially in certain genres. And part of it's like moving away from like the core of what a music is, which is the song. And if the songs are there, the production's easy in a way. It's just the icing on the cake. It shouldn't be the other way around, you know. And yeah, we spent a lot of time with those songs before we did it, and I think it paid off. Hopefully, we'll find out maybe tomorrow. Everyone will tell me I know it sucks. <laughs> Well, I can't wait to hear it, Matt. I'm so excited. Demons, by the time this podcast goes out, will be two days old and hopefully everyone's listened to it and is loving it. I'm sure it's going to be well received and like I said, I'm so looking forward to it. And to support the album, you're doing a few live dates, uh, Matt. So you've got a few live dates um, announced. I bet you're looking forward to that. Yeah, I really am. So we've got uh, St. Luke's on Friday, the 24th of March. And that's that's a big venue, it's a beautiful venue. And then the 12th of May, we're in Caves in Edinburgh. So that's two band shows. And then I'm doing an acoustic tour in between. But I'm really hopeful that this record takes us back up a level and we get to do the UK again. Like, it's been a while. And we, whenever shows come up, the biggest requests are actually always down south. Like, um, but just the cost of touring is so high. And, and we, after I've talked about lockdown and change of perspective, like, 
I kind of realised that musicians were the last supported. You know, everyone was singing on their couch to save venues, but no one was thinking about the fact that these venues wouldn't pay artists. And I don't know why we have venues if they don't. Like, that fails to be a function. So I left and I made a rule that we now have a living wage. So, like, nobody in our setup works for less than the union minimum. So if a fee or an offer comes that doesn't sit that, then I just say no now. Sorry, because I value the people in this business and I value the workers and you wouldn't uh, not pay a plumber or you wouldn't not have a doctor paid or a teacher paid and they're all strike to get better paid but everyone expects us to do it for nothing and I just said I'm not doing that anymore So and I, and I don't want anyone to ever not be able to pay their bills because I've made a choice that I would take no fee and I want them to do me a favour now so I really fight so hard to be able to have funds in place to pay everyone fairly and, and we're probably paying people better than, in fact I actually know because I've worked on tours that we're paying the same rates or better than some major artists are to their players. And um, I, but I just think like if we keep accepting no money, we're undercutting our own business. Um, so that's why we're not touring as much. And I do apologise, but we're working really hard to get funding in place and to be able to tour. Well, next year's 10 years of Brown Bear, so I thought it would be a lovely time to do like a proper tour. And it gives me time to try and get funds in place. Because I, I do it myself. Like it literally is like if, if I couldn't afford, if, if we took a show and the fee wasn't there, but it was worth doing like, I have to go and work and try and take freelance roles on to generate money to pay people. Like, but it literally is our own funds, um, bar like the really gracious funding that we got, which was like through a lot of working applications and a lot of no's, <laughs> a lot of turned down applications first, you know. So yeah, it's it's been really difficult, but I think I, I feel like I'm happier and everyone and the setup's happier, and we all have this love and respect for each other, and we all know our worth and I think value and worth of like core parts of keeping good well-being and mental health and I think that to me is worth more than anything for everyone that's involved in the process so it's been it's been tough to do it but like okay you've got to have principles in life you know what I mean yeah that's fantastic to hear really interesting you uh, to say that and it comes across how passionate uh, you are about the album and the music and your band which is um, a great thing to have Matt so I commend you on that one and hopefully you do make it down south at some point because yes. I'd love to um I'd love to see you. Obviously, you had the Shed Project recently come to London, which was great. The Heavy North are coming in May. I know there's a lot of more bands coming over, um, but I do appreciate how difficult it is to obviously financially do that with such a yeah. such a, a weight of, of the world at the moment. So you've mentioned a lot of genres already and a massive music collection as a kid. But Matt, what, what kind of music are you into now? Is it a wide range or are you focusing on, on, on one genre at the moment? Uh, it's a wide range. Um but I, do you know what's funny? Like, and I'm not saying they're not songwriters, but I've moved away from like songs in the traditional sense of like pops and pop and chorus because I guess I just don't I don't feel connected to it as much. I don't feel like it's quite doing it for me. And I've really spent the last few years back at hip hop, just a total love of it. And and I've also found my way back into soul. And like, I listen to a lot of older stuff, and then new new things I feel are very much more in like the soulful hip hop world and. Um, I just think they're doing great stuff there, great productions, great songs, great messages. And uh, but there's lots of great artists. We were talking about fair, like there's lots of great artists in Scotland, and I think that's another thing that keeps me inspired. Like Mark Sharp and the Bicycle Thieves are incredible. If you haven't heard them, just go and listen to them. And Mark actually was in tour with Lewis Capaldi there. There's so, so many bands I could say, and there's a, a band called False Friends who I love in Johnny's class, and like they've got a song called Careless where I heard them play it at a gig, and my jaw was on the floor. And I never do this, but I actually went up and was like. Was that a cover? Because I can't understand how that's not like a world famous song. And like, that's our song. And I was just blown away. And it, there's just a band that like people might not know and they don't know that song, but it's incredible. And that's what I find time and time again. I go and see these bands in Scotland and they just have a way with words and a way with songs. And yeah, I'd love to see 
more of that. So I guess I'm, I kind of mention I'm, 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 I always do my best to keep in with what new releases are coming out and listen to as much as I can. And yeah, but I, again, you know what happens, time gets busy and like we're in that album process. So I'm like right out, removed from it. So I'm kind of looking forward to having time off to go and catch up on all the other releases and check out what's been going on and see some other people's gigs. <laughs> Let me take you back then, Matt, to the past with a young Matt, got a bit of money in his pocket. It might have been a download actually. I'm not sure how old you are. Um, do you remember buying your first record or single and what that was, that experience? I remember buying my first single from Woolworths and it was the way I am, like Eminem. I thought it was so cool. And I got, <laughs> I got home and my mum was like, what are you listening to? How did you get that? All those swear words. She took it out, put it back in, marched me down to Woolworths and made me return it and they said you can pick one other thing and the only, the only other option was Baha Men Who Let The Dogs Out. So... <laughs> I went from being like the coolest guy in my year to like the lamest kid about. Amazing, amazing from Eminem to the barman. Not uh, not not one I've heard before. Yeah, and and I think the first record I bought was um, the first CD album I bought. I'm sure was uh, Incesticide by Nirvana, and I'm trying to think what the first proper vinyl I went and specifically bought was. And I should know that. I feel like it should be like a pure pride thing, but. It's hard to remember because you inherit records really, and records are kind of inherited. So I'm chatting with the first one I went and thought, like, this is. I'm impressed by Incesticide because normally it's never mind, right? For all intents and purposes. Yeah. So to say Incesticide, I think your credit level with Nirvana fans on this podcast is shot through the roof. Yeah. Well, I was just like Nirvana daft, honestly, even then. But it's really hard to find, like, there was, was it even really like you had internet to Google stuff back then? Yeah. It really was just going to shops and you're like, this cover looks interesting and quirky. And, like, I think one of my pals had had Nevermind. So I felt like there's no point in having it, I can just borrow it from him, I've got to get my own, you know. I think the first record I bought properly was Thriller by Michael Jackson. I was in a a shop and uh, I was working with a... a, When I got back into vinyl, because I can't really remember what happened as a kid, but when I got back into vinyl, I remember being in a shop and I was with a band and the guy that owned the shop loved the band. It was one of the first bands I worked for when I was younger. And, uh, and I totally liked that job. And I was talking about Michael Jackson. He was like, oh, I've actually got like a first pressing. So I don't keep it out because he just died and like thought like, everyone wants to buy it. And then he loved that band so much and I bought it. So I got like a, a first press of Thriller. It's like, like one of my great jobs because I was Michael Jackson's after as a wee boy. Was, he was the king of pop, you know what I mean? So Yeah, great shout. Great album. <laughs> Michael Jackson, the king of pop. Uh, only been chosen for a few fantasy festivals. Maybe he'll get into yours, which we'll find out all about shortly. So Matt, are you a big fan of festivals? Do you go to many? You like them? Nah, <laughs> not really. I, I think it's too many people, too much noise. Um, I don't like camp. I can't. I made a terrible decision. I camped the first time I played tea in the park, and I just felt rotten the next day. But I love what they mean to people. I, I, I like. I have two ways about it because I, I do sometimes go. I don't. I don't know. I sometimes go to them and I go. That was great to see so many bands and that. But like, I sometimes look at it now as like, if we're being really honest about festivals, they're just adverts for the. Mm-hmm. Promoters, promoters touring year they're just putting on an advert for you so you can buy things for the year and then what happens is like festivals are kind of the Spotify of live music like it's like low return the bands get paid like especially new bands get paid the minimum uh, people get all of their thing in one day it's like well I wouldn't go and see a band but if they're all there I'll see them and then you're less invested in music and then people think I've paid all that during the summer I'm not going to buy tickets to gigs or I've bought all the tickets for the gigs that they advertise so now I don't have money to go and see bands in independent venues so I, th- I think they're actually a like hindrance potentially than more than help personally I think like especially for new music it can really shut down venues and stuff so and they're just oversaturated but that's not to say I haven't enjoyed some of my time like there's one in, uh, down near Dumfries called Wickerman and it was amazing it was just such a great vibe Belladrum and Inverness is a great vibe and 
trying to think about the last festival I went to. That's a great question. I like when they have curated days, though, that are like a festival and outside, and I quite like that. I feel like the festival thing now has just run its course for me. When I was younger, I was like, oh my, oh my goodness, wow. And then, and that's it, rather just being the baddest, seeing a band. That's a really interesting way of looking at fest. You, you've opened my eyes a bit to the festival concept a little bit. I've never looked at it the way you just described it. It's really interesting. It's like I'm in the Matrix and I've just taken the red pill and I was on the blue pill. That's a really interesting way of looking <laughs> at it. That's why we have to snore our way through 1975 and it's just bullshit and it's not working and I think somebody at some point is going to have to be honest about the fact that the business isn't working and there's no room for like there's always going to be artists that slip through and they do it and it's amazing but if a business is only generating like one new artist every like five years or an artist is slipping through the cracks every five mm-hmm. years that's a failure of a business that's not a success if, you, if you've got four big acts and, and a business in a world of music this size that's a failure of a business and I think it's probably time they started being honest about it. But they don't they won't because the system suits the people at the top. They're all generating money and the people at the bottom who make the art are not. And they don't they don't care if you don't succeed because they're like, well, there's always gonna be someone that'll come in and cut you and someone else we can exploit and I think it's time to start a revolution. <laughs> so I always like to ask my guests what their favourite gig is without spoiling. So I was lucky enough to go and see Lizzo last night at the O two. I took my two girls to see Lizzo for their first ever gig and she was amazing. She's very empowering. It was very emotional. She's blending hip hop. So she's done a tribute to Lauren Hill, which you've spoken about earlier. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of influences in there. Amazing gig. One of my top five, probably, just because of taking my two girls to see their first ever show. Matt, do you have a favourite gig that you've gone to? That's a great question. I, 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 went, I went to see Stevie Wonder play at Hyde Park when I was like 17 or 18. And it was just unbelievable. Like, he is he's like the pinnacle of music you know what i mean and like uh it was such a joy and it was such an honor to to live through that to be i, I mean I, I don't i just couldn't even comprehend what i'd lived through and um it was like a piece of history you know and i remember standing that day and going i'm going to play in Hyde park this is this is my dream and maybe four or five years later we did support the libertines it was crazy and i was like that, that was the dream you know and uh that really inspired me, like this the whole thing. So yeah, I think that there's that for me. I've also seen um, some bands that like are a total surprise. Like, well, not not some aren't a surprise. Like I saw Foo Fighters, and they're just incredible. Like a lot of people are kind of funny with them. Oh, Wall of Sound, all that. But it's like they're just incredible live band. It's a lot of fun. Sometimes like we get a bit serious about music, and they just go up stage and have fun, and it's a great gig, you know. Uh, I saw Lauren Hill. It was a bit of a disaster. <laughs> when we come to that, um, I saw Kendrick Lamar. It was amazing. Um, I saw I, I saw the Scissor Sisters once at a festival and they were honestly out of this world. It wasn't something I'd ever have gone to see myself. So, yeah, I've, I've seen I've seen a lot of people over my years, but I think it's Stevie Wonder. I can still remember it. It was just like honestly, like nothing else. Like he is one of the greatest of all time, and I got to see him live, and yeah, it was inspired me. It just made me go like, this is this is what I want to do. Amazing, amazing, as all good and classic hacks should do. So the aim of the Fantastical podcast, like I said at the beginning of the show, is to get our guests to collate their fantasy festival. So Matt gets to choose his fantasy festival lineup by choosing any five acts, one of whom must play one of their studio albums in full, and an encore, which can be any song that Matt can get all of his five acts to perform together at the end of his Fantastical. So it's very easy, 
five acts take five time slots. So in the last episode, I had Gary Davis, who I mentioned before from Maze. He collated his Gaz Fantasy Festival as follows. So he had Maze uh, in the opening act slot, so he picked his own band to open, which is fine. People do it. It's all good. Super Seconds, he went for the DMAs, uh, another great band making their way in the music business. Midway Madness went for the Stone Roses. Pre-headline went for the Charlatans and had them play their Telling Stories album. And for his headline act, he picked Oasis and had all five play My Generation. So for any first-time listeners, very simple concept, just five acts, and it's pretty straightforward. But before we talk about your acts, Matt, you need to give your fantasy festival a name and we need to hold it somewhere. So Matt, what yeah. are you going to call your fantasy festival, buddy? Well, this is it. This was hard for me because I'm into so much music. And I had this whether like, do I do all like new Scottish acts or do I do like an indie soul thing or whatever. But I was thinking, what am I into just now? What would I want to see just now? And I thought about like I also I was also almost thought about doing like a, a festival where it was like all albums and only one person didn't play an album. Oh, and I like then, it. But then I went with this. I went with like I'm going to go with like music I was really into and, and a theme. So I went with Afrochella. So it's all music from like like the black diaspora. Um, so, and, but I'm still going to hold it in Scotland. I'm going to hold it at Portobello Beach down in, in Edinburgh. I'm I, I'm uh, just moved to Edinburgh uh, recently, and I love Portobello the beach here. So, doing it for Scotland, doing it for all all my people. I should have really held it in Ayrshire because that's where I'm from. So maybe nobody nobody gave me beef. I was just in Portobello, and then I really liked it. Okay, so like nobody freaked out. So it's just <laughs> nice to have it. We'll have it the one day that Scotland has sun as well. Nobody panic about that. Brilliant fantasy so festival. Af- Af- Afrochella. Afrochella. Well, maybe we could do Afrochella two in Ayrshire if Afrochella yeah. one goes down well. If maybe we get enough um, people there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if we can get enough sunny days in Scotland, we'll do it. <laughs> fantasy festival. So let's have fantasy weather in Scotland. So, Matt, before we talk about the five acts, are there any acts who you want to mention quickly who just don't fit into Afrochella who you love but aren't making it? In, they're not coming with us on our journey. Yeah. Well, there's not enough spaces, so I would have loved to have put in Anderson Pack and a few nationals. I think it's just incredible. Although he's dipped off into that silk sonic thing with Bruno Mars, which was funny at first, and now it's kind of a bit lame. <laughs> um, I, I, I would have I, I really considered putting Paul Simon doing Graceland in. I would have loved to put some. If I was putting Scottish acts in, I'd be putting Mark Sharp in. I'd be putting Kitty in. People should also, like, if you're into hip hop, check out Ben's. There's so honestly, I could, like false friends. I, there's so many bands up here. I would just go and check them out. I thought about putting the Foo Fighters in because they're so great live. There's so many bands. Honestly, I could. Have, this is the thing you could pick: Scottish band, Abbott, or like big, big hitters. Like it was really hard. The Libertines. I felt like I should have put them in because of like our kind of history and all that. But um, I didn't. I went. For, I went for. What I went for. Also because of the nature of my I thought maybe I should choose someone from like, each area, and I didn't really choose like. Like a like a Caribbean based artist, and I didn't I didn't choose it. And I'm, my family are Nigerian. I didn't even pick Burna Boy, so I, I, I forever apologies to Nigeria and all that. But <laughs> I went for what I went for. Just enjoy it for what I had. Childish Gambino didn't make the list, but that could have been a cool thing to see uh, from that album with like uh, a red one on it. But yeah, there were so many people. I was even like, I was, all day I was like, I don't know what to do. And I thought this is this is a build that feels good to me. I'm gonna go for it. I love and it. I hope you love it. I love it. I'm sure we will. Paul Simon is still knocking on the doors. He never played a fantasy festival. We'll have to wait to at least episode 124. Foo Fighters barely been picked, which is interesting. People always talk about the Foos, but haven't really um, picked them often. I look forward to listening and checking out some of the acts we've spoken about. Bems is a great artist. He's coming He's coming down south, isn't he? Yeah, I've seen yeah, he's touring. So I look forward to trying and catch Bems. So some big acts missing out, but you are bringing five. So two o'clock, Afrochella. Portobello Beach, lovely day. Everyone's well up for it. Who are you going to have to open Afrochella, Matt? 
got to be Scottish. It's got to be hometown. We're going to have young fathers kicking that up. They're going to, they're going to do it. Their new album is stunning. They're in my view from the last album, stunning and I just like hometown feel in it. Like, what a great act. I, I didn't get, I didn't get the first album. I wasn't as into that. And then over time, I've just got more and more into them, and I think they're amazing. And people here are so hyped for what they're doing. This new record is unbelievable. Like, I, like I saw, it was just like blew my mind. And uh, you can't not have a hometown person kick that off, right? Great shout, great shout. So, Young Fathers, the first time they've been picked in the Fantastical uh, Open F Rochella. They're going to play from two to three o'clock. We'll take a half hour break. That'll take us to our super second slot, which is half past three to half past four. So, Matt, who's going to be your super seconds act? It's going to be Little Sims. I think uh, Little Sims is honestly like ahead of the game. For me, I struggled for years to get into that British rap sound, and I think the female voice is what's going to hit it. And it's really, really I think she's leagues above everyone else. I feel like Little Sims is our Kendrick in terms of like cultural reference and like the depth of the albums and sometimes I'm an introvert it was just absolutely 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 stunning and um yeah and, and then to have a new record out like within two or three years after that and the new record sounds brilliant I've, I've, I've not had enough time to like I really love sometimes an introvert for a long time I've, I've only heard the new record kind of in passing and I was like this is so cool but I love to like hear a record of loads and then but then have a time where I sit with my headphones on and really just digest every aspect of it and yeah, I just think they're great. I saw the I saw her during the Connect Festival last year, and the, the live performance was brilliant too. And yeah, I, I just think she's one of the coolest people about, and flying the flag flag for the UK as well. And yeah, so that was in that super seconds. It's great to see her win the Mercury Music Prize a few years ago because normally you yeah. see all, like four or five big names, and you're like it'll be one of these five. But when she won it, it was quite unexpected, and obviously gives her a much bigger audience to go and progress her music. Yeah, yeah, and and she really has, and like. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. There's just something special. I, I, when I when I listened to sometimes I'm an introvert. I felt like when I listened to to Pimper Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar for the first time, where I thought, "Gosh, I actually think this. I think I've heard a, a bit of history. I think I've heard like a bit of musical history. I think we'll look back on that record, and it's only going to age better. You know, I think it will get better and better and better with time. And yeah, I really think there's something in the Little Sims thing. So that would be my super second. Great stuff. Little Sims makes her fantastical debut. She's playing from half past three to half past four in a super second slot in F Rochella. We'll take a half hour break. That'll take us to five o'clock. Time for the Midway Madness act, Matt. So who are you going to pick for Midway Madness? Midway Madness, I've gone with the actual theme and I've done a madness booking, a booking that could backfire in everybody's faces. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm going to book Lauren Hill to do the miseducation of Lauren Hill album. Now, there's a chance that she might not turn up till the next day. <laughs> and that, that is the risk you take with that Midway Madness. But we're going for it. It's just one of the best albums. I love it. I, I, I really had it in my ears a lot before I put this record. Obviously, now it's kind of come out like she kind of ripped a bit from like some of the musicians, and that's not great. But Lauren Hill was just honestly an ex- exceptional artist. Again, ahead of her time. And it's such a shame that like she kind of rallied against the industry and got spat out the other side. And, seems quite troubled and has her issues but like I, w- I went to see her and uh, I think she was almost an hour and a half late and everyone was booing and raging and, and when she came on she doubled down kind of like told everyone to fucking go over it but <laughs> I, th- I think she did something like four or five songs before the curfew and it's, I still felt like I'd lived through history I was still like oh wow. my god but it was still incredible so I, I've, I've made a bold choice doing this and it could backfire but it's a fantasy so, so in this fantasy world she's turned up in time because she loves Porter Mellow Beat so much yeah, and uh, she rocks the whole album, and it's amazing. So yeah, that's our, our madness of the 
Absolutely. Do you know what? It's funny you mentioned Lauren Hill. Obviously, last night Lizzo has blatantly ripped one of her songs off. And then Lizzo, after doing that song, went into uh, that thing and played that in full, which is great because then it gives my girls their first listen to Lauren Hill. But it reminds me of when I started working in HMV, like an indie kid in 1998. I knew Oasis, I knew Blur. They put me on the song and dance floor and mm-hmm. the time the Miseducation album had come out. So we used to play that. I used to hear that album about seven times a day. And instantly I was like, this is amazing. And something I never would have listened to mm-hmm. at that time, but was almost forced to listen to it through work. And that was an absolute classic album. Absolute. Yeah. And it still holds up. Yeah. It's the, oh, yeah. It's one of the greatest albums I've ever made. Like, it's exceptional. And it, and it's, again, ahead of its time. I think, I think a lot mm. of things I'm into, I feel like, yeah, this is, this is, this is something, this is something exceptional. So we've gone, we've gone mad and we've got a lot in the come. We've probably put a lot of budget into that as well. We'll tell her Come out, sorry. I was going to say, we'll tell her to, she's on a, we'll tell her she's the super seconds act, so when she gets here, she'll be in time for Midway Madness. Exactly, I actually told her she's the opener. <laughs> she was only five minutes late, so it's all good. Amazing, so she's going to do an hour, she's going to do the miseducation of Lauren Hill, and then that will take us to six, we'll take a half hour break, and that'll mean we've got two acts left. So the pre-headline act is going to play from half six to eight o'clock. So Matt, who's going to be your pre-headline act? Yeah, I think this, this act was my original headline, and I think could headline anything but uh we've got a big a big reason for the, the last headline but yeah i'm gonna go with kendrick lamar honestly it's so ahead of time it, it, it reignited my love for hip-hop when i had to put my butt fly uh it's one of the greatest albums ever made it's it's i think we'll look i think we'll look back in history and, and realize he was probably the greatest and um then he, then he did damn which was like even more exceptional in some ways and then mr morales the new album was just stunning and it's kind of a listening album i've really loved having my headphones on and listening and and that Glastonbury set was just unbelievable. Like the the theatre of it, the message he has at the end. He's always really important message as a thinker, you know. And I'm, I feel like I'm like I'm an overthinker, so that I kind of relate to it. And the way he's tackled his inner demons and this, and every every album I feel has this song that's about how no matter what he talks about, he's a hypocrite because of the way he is. And, and I love that self awareness and the educational parts of his music. And the the first few albums were very like. Hip hop, and I was like, "Oh, this is a bit not hip hop, but we're rapping like the kind of misogynistic tropes." And I was like, oh, "I don't know." Is it? And then it's just growing and growing and growing. There's a real understanding of who he is, and I think he's exceptional. And the videos as well now, with like they become like, yeah, everything about it. So I'm gonna go for Kendrick. Is that that slot? And to top Kendrick's gonna take a lot, but we're gonna do it. We're gonna see who it's gonna be. So Kendrick Lamar, pre-headline act, second time he's been chosen. For fantasy festival so he's back he's coming to portobello beach it's going to be great he'll do give us an hour and a half so we'll take a half hour break after eight o'clock in kendrick that takes us to half eight and your headliner is going to get two and a half hours to play afrochella so matt you've had an amazing first forex but who is going to headline your fantasy festival who can do that amount of time and just hit after hit after hit? Stevie Wonder is the greatest. It's the greatest of all time. Like that collection of songs, like what he's done for the culture, what he, even with Happy Birthday and fighting for like Martin Luther King Day, like he's done it always been there. And uh, I'm sure he's a hero and inspiration to most. And he's he's probably like the greatest writer and musician that's still living. And the fact that we have him and we've had him is just we've lived through something in, in that in itself. And yeah, Stevie's going to do it and he's going to play all the hits and we're going to love every single minute of it. And oh God, yeah, honestly, I'm excited for everyone to be there. And I think it's what a nice way to tie it off where you've had all that thought and music and songs and culture and some of it's quite songy and some of it's more rappy, but then you tie it off with just songs to dance and sing to and a bit of joy. And 
But Steve, Steve Wonder, like, lyric, man, I love it. Like, music's in a, a world within itself with a language you all understand. Amazing. I mean, Honestly. Ma- amazing. Songs ama- in the Key of Life. What a record, you know? Classic. Classic. So Stevie Wonder makes his third fantasy festival appearance. Sylvie had him as a headliner as well. That's the last time he was chosen back in the day. So some of the Scots loving Stevie Wonder. So at 11 o'clock, Stevie Wonder finishes, but he'll bring back on stage Kendrick Lamar, Lauren Hill, Little Sims and Young Fathers. And they all get to play one song to complete the fantasy festival. Brown Bear can come out if you want them to come out. I'm happy to get Brown Bear on the stage as well all get to play one song. So what song would you have all of your fantasy festival acts play, Matt? There's something controversial here. But I think I think it would be able to do it and we'll see why. But with the nature of hip-hop and samples, I feel like what will happen at first is uh, Stevie will play the, will play like for like Gangster's Paradise because it was a sample, right? And then and as it's getting on, like other, the other rappers will come out and we'll do a, they'll do a medley with Stevie Wonder, the greatest hip-hop songs of all time. Oh, wow. Like a hip-hop medley, right? Because Stevie Wonder infamously does medleys within his set. That's my doorbell. That's <laughs> doorbell. Stevie Wonder in, in, does medleys in his set. And I know you're supposed to make like a song, but I think the nature of hip-hop is like songs and samples and use different sounds. So I think I'm going to go with that. I think we're going to go with Gangster's Paradise that leads into a medley of hip-hop classics and Stevie Wonder singing all the song parts of it. Lauren Hill singing the female vocals and then we've got all the rapper. That's what I'm going to go for. All right, the Fantastical Board are just checking VAR just to make sure that's allowed. Okay. They've come back. Yeah, I've got other <laughs> options if we're not allowed. No, they've come back. They've said it was tight, but as Stevie Wonder is there and you've made a valid casing point for it, it's allowed. So that is going to be your encore. That's yes. a hell, yes. <laughs> hell of an encore there, Matt. So let's wrap that in. So we've got Afrochella taking place at Portobello Beach, Edinburgh. Opening act, we've got Young Fathers, Super Seconds, Little Sims, Midway Madness, Lauren Hill, who's going to play her Miseducation of Lauren Hill album in full. Pre-headliner, Kendrick Lamar. Headliner, Stevie Wonder. And for your encore, they're all going to do a hip-hop medley led by Stevie Wonder bringing in Gangster's Paradise. That sounds like an amazing fantasy festival to me, Matt. You happy to lock that one into the Fantastical Vaults? That's locked. (laughs) That is locked. One of the best fantasy festival lineups yet. So, Matt, before we finish... Obviously, the Demons album is now almost here. By the time this goes out, it's going to be here in the public domain. But what do the next couple of months look like for you? What are your hopes with this album and what where's it taking you in 2023? I, I, I just hope people will love it and they get a chance to listen. And um, I'm looking forward to the shows. Uh, and I really hope that what happens is we gain some traction, we get some nice plays, we gain some new fans, and we're able to tour again and do the UK. And I'd love to end up next year's 10 years of Brown Bears. And I'd love to end up at um, Badlands. I think it's the most iconic venue in the world and I'd love to headline it and end the 10 years of Brown Bear there and see where we go next. And I've got a couple of really cool visual uh, film projects to tie in with this record, which I don't want to give too much about, but they're really cool and we're trying to pitch to have them made. And I'm hoping that the latter half of the year we'll, we'll do what we always do, which is really singles after the album and mm. as kind of video combos and we'll build this real beautiful film side of things and then it ties into like a big visual show at the end um, that we hopefully do violence. So that's the dream and I'm going to put it out there and hopefully manifest it. And I just want to keep creating um, great content and uh, stuff that really speaks to people and hopefully we keep connecting with people and we're able to, to get on the road again and share those songs and the music. And I really just hope that the songs touch people and, and they take something from them again. And but we get more people like yourself, uh, Steve, that... Um, Get it maybe a month, two, three months, maybe a year down the line, and it's still their record of the year. Yeah, and I hope 
hopefully doing it because that's all that is for me I never really think too much about like sales or positions mm. or lists or whatever reviews I'm just here to see that um, people hear it and people enjoy it and hopefully they, they take something from that Amazing, amazing. I'm so looking forward to seeing where 2023 takes you, Matt. So if anyone's listening and hasn't heard Brown Bear before, they can find Brown Bear on all the normal platforms, right? So Spotify, iTunes. You've got a Bandcamp page, so if anyone wants a physical copy, yep. you've got physical copies of your both albums can be found, right? So um, yep. Bandcamp and is it Assassi Records? Assai Records, yeah. Asai, sorry, Assai Records, where you can go and order Matt's first album and his yep. new album as well. Well reminded on the band camp, I need to go and update that for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, and and in, in terms of people finding Brown Bear, obviously across social media, you you can be found on all the uh, social media sites, right? Yeah, so we can be found on Twitter is at Brown Bear Band, Facebook's Brown Bear Official, and Instagram is Brown Bear underscore official. And please do follow us, pop us a message, tell us you heard this year, have a chat with me, let me know where you are as well, because it helps like, if we're trying to figure out where we're going to go on this tour, we'd love to know where you are and come and, and come and see you and just, yeah, if you're loving the music, post about it, tweet about it, good as posting your stories, like it all helps, like I know streaming maybe doesn't like generate a lot of pay or whatever, but like it does help when you share the music and, and one thing that I, th- I think if you're a big music fan is like, and you're loving it, it's like text a friend if you know they would love it. I find a lot of people have come to my shows that have said, you know, I actually was in a WhatsApp group and we talk about music and I listen to it and the, the act of actually sharing and connecting is so, you know, Social media is a vacuum, like it just goes out into the ether and it doesn't always get picked up on. Mm-hmm. If you really love a song of ours, just please, and you want to share it, if you, and you also love it, text it to them, say, listen to this song, you'd love it, this, this guy's alright, or, you know, you booked this festival and I'd love to go, and the only way to go to that festival is if we get this guy millions of pounds to book it, so whatever that is, just make it happen, okay, because we all need the money here. <laughs> <laughs> and what a way to end it, right? So give Matt all your money yeah. and listen to Brown yes, Bear, basically. <laughs> so that is it. Thanks to everyone who's listened to the 123rd episode of the Fantastical Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe. You can give the Fantastical Podcast a review on iTunes, and you can also rate the show on Spotify. So we've let up on Spotify because we went from 31 five-star reviews this week to 36, I think. Um, So that's really important. So please, if you're listening on Spotify, rate the show because it means a lot um, to the pod. Brown Bear are on Twitter. So is the podcast. We can be found at Fantastical P. We are also at 1,000 followers, which is great. I've tried to keep it very organic and not do a follow for a follow. So I'm really proud of the uh, audience that I'm building on Twitter. So please make sure to recommend it to all of your families and friends. We can also be found on TikTok, which is a developing program for us. It's very difficult, Matt, TikTok. I can't quite work it out still, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'll also get some tracks from Matt. We'll make a nice little playlist. So if you've not heard of any of the acts who Matt's chosen, there'll be a nice little episode description in the uh, episode for you to go and find and click the link on. So Matt, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. I really enjoyed your company. How have you found talking about your musical taste and your new album and your fantasy festival it's been such a joy thank you for having me it's always great to talk to another music purist who just loves records and it's so lovely to connect with your audience and i hope you love the record hope we see you again and thanks for letting me share my, my views on music it's been a pleasure mate i can't wait to listen to the album me and you side project the purists coming in 2023 yes. mate right <laughs> oh, i'm up for that we need to get a wee like side hustle going i'm up for it <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I'll be back next week, everyone, with episode number 124. So please make sure to join me. But until then, stay safe, my fantastical friends. Please continue to spread the word. And that word is fantastical. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.